Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. It turns out that the COVID-19 pandemic unleashed a torrent of other pandemics, among them anxiety. Many people who are used to feeling sound of mind have been shaken to the core. Chances are this is you or someone you love. Let's talk about it. When you're experiencing anxiety, it's easy to feel untethered. Health and wellness writer Lauren Del Turco is speaking. You feel like you're crawling out of your skin. The racing thoughts, restlessness, irritability, and can't stop, won't stop, heart pounding in your chest can make it really hard to get things done or to sleep, even when you're exhausted from the incessant buzz. Anxiety is exhausting. Here are some ways out of the spin cycle. First, as much as possible, remove yourself from situations that make you anxious. I know this isn't always possible, but when it is, skedaddle. And when it isn't, second, get really clear about your boundaries. What limits do you want to lay down to protect your mental health? Third, my favorite, how can you better care for yourself or an anxious loved one? Brainstorm ways to inoculate yourself and do it. Does exercise or a walk help? Nature is a great healer. Even 10 minutes outside can decrease your stress hormone levels. Nourish yourself, light candles at the table and skip the junk food. Try a phone call, not a scroll through social media, but a real old-fashioned call to someone who loves you. Listen to music or sing. Some people swear by journaling. To give yourself an age, sense of agency, write out all the things. Fourth, ask yourself, who can help me right now? Reach out and share your feelings. Ask for help. There's a science, actually a science, that suggests naming your anxiety. Give it a name and engage with it. It's not for everyone, but when it works, it's a game changer. Dr. Kyle Elliott, who writes at caffeinatedkyle.com, named his anxiety Mr. Peanut. <laughs> when Mr. Peanut gets worked up, he says, I calm him down, console him, and let him know everything is going to be okay. 
One of the biggest casualties of anxiety is that we lose the present. It just disappears into the madness. Psychotherapist Aisha R. Shabazz explains, when you experience anxiety in an intense way, aspects of your senses are either dialed down or ramped up depending on how your brain is trying to keep you safe. But when you slow down and tap into your five senses, you allow yourself to emerge from that anxious state into an awareness state. She gives the example of drinking a cup of coffee. Look at it, she says. If you've got foam art decorating the top, yay for you. <laughs> then take a big inhale and smell the coffee. Tune in to the sounds around you. Feel the warmth of the cup. Take a sip. Really taste it. Breathe. Anxiety may and may not go away on its own, but helping it on its way could be empowering. Some people find therapy helpful in figuring out what triggers it and to customize treatment strategies. It would be a lot to ask anyone in the midst of an anxiety attack to learn to meditate. But cultivating a strong practice will steady you not just when you're anxious, but through a lot of what life may throw at you. What the Buddha called this realm of 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. On the night of his awakening in Bodh Gaya, India, the Buddha sat cross-legged under a Bodhi tree determined to free his mind. Legend has it that the demon Mara arrived with his army, seeking to enchant the Buddha with visions of temptations and unleashing a torrent of arrows. But the Buddha proclaimed, I see you, Mara, and I am not afraid. Stretching out his hand to touch the earth, he called on the earth to proclaim his right to be here. Mara's arrows turned into flowers and fell to the earth around the Buddha. The morning star rose. His mind completely cleared and opened. The Buddha was enlightened. Meditation does not guarantee peace of mind, but it can make you more spacious, forgiving, and compassionate with yourself and others. Jewish Buddhist teacher and author Sylvia Borstein is by nature a fretter. She writes, I consider my meditation practice a success because I now trust that even when what is happening to me is difficult and my response to it is painful, I will not suffer if I can keep my mind clear enough to keep my heart engaged. She continues, I know that my suffering begins whenever my mind, for whatever reason, becomes confused. In its confusion, it seems to forget everything it ever knew. It tells itself stories, alternatively angry or pitiful or frightening. No inner voice of wisdom can make itself heard to soothe the distress. 
I continue to suffer, stumbling around in stories of discontent until I catch myself and stop and allow myself to know and deeply feel that I am frightened or confused, disappointed, angry, tired, ashamed, or sad. And then my own good heart, out of compassion, takes care of me. It all happens when I say to himself, and I honestly do use these very words, she says, sweetheart, you are in pain. Relax. Take a breath. Let's pay attention to what's happening. And then we'll figure out what to do. Sylvia calls these her rescue phrases, relax, breathe, pay attention. We can memorize them, relax, breathe, pay attention, and roll them out. So relax is sort of ridiculous. We're upset. How can we relax? But directing ourselves to relax might just interrupt the stories we're telling ourselves, the tales we're spinning, and reminds us that calming down is possible. Breathe is also sort of ridiculous. Of course we're breathing. The trick, though, is to find your breath, find it, and entrain to it, and just be with it. In and out. See if you can lengthen your breath. It will signal your nervous system that the coast is clear to calm down. It also interrupts the anxiety narrative and gives your wayward mind some place to land. In and out. Pay attention is not ridiculous. Whatever we're feeling, whatever we're telling ourselves about what we're feeling, being angry at ourselves or someone else does not help. Be kind. That's why Sylvia says, sweetheart, practice compassion. And then she shares this lesson from when she and Seymour were living in France. It's as much about anger as it is anxiety, but the correctives are the same. As the story opens, Sylvia and Seymour Borstein are all worked up because they bought a bed frame in an antique shop from the elderly Madame Blaise, who neglected to tell them there would be an exorbitant upcharge for the mattress and box spring, which would need to be specially manufactured to fit. In fact, she had lied about it. Sylvia feels betrayed. Seymour is really angry, but he doesn't speak French. They return to the store, and Sylvia, in her most elegant and polite French, proceeds to explain their shock, dismay, and distress at having trusted Madame only to be billed far more than they would have been willing to pay for the bed. Sylvia says how much they have enjoyed their previous business interactions with Madame, but that now they have been left with bad feelings, mauvaise émotion. Oh, Madame, Madame Blaise addressed Sylvia. She looked genuinely concerned and leaned in a little as if to comfort her. Mauvaise émotion are bad for you. You should put them down. Forget about it. It's in the past. These things happen. Really, vraiment. 
Mauvaise émotion are very bad for you. It was with this proclamation that Sylvia heard the lesson and felt she'd gotten her money's worth after all. Of course we should put down our mauvaise émotion. Being mad, she says, was uncomfortable for everyone. The Buddha taught that struggling with what we cannot change creates suffering. Throughout history, the words, it's not fair, have created no end of trouble. The thing is, when the mind feels wounded, it goes over the script incessantly, trying to validate the anger. I said, she said, she promised, it's not fair. The Buddha said, anyone who understands impermanence ceases to be contentious. Abandon such thoughts and live in love. Maybe working with anxiety all comes down to this then, once again, American theologian Reinhold Niebuhr's serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. And the wisdom to know the difference. I'm going to tell one more Sylvia story now. My old friend is clearly on my mind. You know this one. It's worth retelling. She writes, in 1986, in the early afternoon of the midpoint day of a two-week mindfulness retreat on the south coast of the big island of Hawaii, the bell to end the meditation period rang only 10 minutes after the session had begun. The retreat manager announced that she'd been notified by the civil defense office in Hilo that an earthquake off the coast of Japan had caused a tidal wave. The wave was crossing the ocean in our direction and was projected to arrive in three hours. We have 70 people here, she said, and only one car. Since there are no available buses to send from Hilo and we can't leave, the civil defense told us to take high ground and organize our supplies in case we get stranded. We were living in two-story bungalows on a beach ringed by thick jungle. The best we could do to take high ground was to go upstairs. We filled the bathtubs with fresh water, we collected our bedding and towels, cases of peanut butter, boxes of crackers, crates of fruit, mosquito repellent, flashlights, and brought them to the room we were using as our communal meditation space, the second floor of the largest bungalow. Then we took our seats around the room. Most of us facing our teacher, Joseph Goldstein, were also facing a wall-to-wall -wall window that looked out across the sea to the flat horizon. Joseph told the story, the ancient story, of a Zen master who was asked, what would you do if the waters of the north and the south and the east and the west all rose around you? The Zen master said, I would sit. Joseph said, let's sit. I closed my eyes and then opened them again, checking the horizon. 
My hands were cold. My heart was pounding. I imagined what a wall of water moving toward us would look like. I was terrified. I closed my eyes and noticed that the room felt unusually quiet. I took a breath and felt it enough to have it catch my attention. Out of long practice, I began to name my experience. Breathe in. Breathe out. I noticed my mind quieting down. In. Out. In. Out. I remember feeling surprised to find that my hands felt warmer and my heart had stopped pounding. Maybe the tidal wave will happen. Maybe not. I don't know. Realizing I didn't know provided a moment of relief. I opened my eyes. It was windy outside and I could see the palms swaying. I noticed that a man was watching the sea with binoculars and I felt touched imagining him thinking that his checking close up could make a difference. My good friend James was sitting next to me. I thought about James's pregnant wife, Jane, at home in Berkeley, and I suddenly wanted very much for us all to survive so that James could be home when his child was born. James's hands were folded in his lap, as were mine. I reached over, tapped his knee, and held out my hand. He reached for it, and we both closed our eyes and sat for a long while, holding hands. The tidal wave never arrived. It passed south of Hawaii. It's more than 35 years now since that day, and I find that I remember the event. The drama is not what I think about. After all, we did survive. What continues to inspire me is how my experience changed when I was able to shift my attention from personal fear to our communal lot. We were all threatened. We all wanted to live. We all had people who loved us. And I realized I felt better when I thought about others' loved ones, too. Perhaps that's a clue about the happiness inherent in caring connections. The frightened I who struggles is replaced by the we who do this difficult life together, looking after one another, holding hands. Beloved spiritual companions, let's relax. Breathe in, breathe out, pay attention, practice compassion, and be kind, kind to ourselves and kind to others. Really, vraiment, mauvaise émotion are bad for us, very bad. May we abandon such thoughts and live in love. Give me your hand.
And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart and namaste. I bow to the divine in you. The words of W.E.B. Du Bois, born in 1868, co-founder of the NAACP, the first African-American to earn a doctorate from Harvard. It is the wind and the rain, O oh God, the cold and the storm that make this earth to blossom and bear its fruit. So in our lives, it is storm and stress and hurt and suffering that compel us to bring the world's work to its highest perfection. Let us learn then in these growing times to respect the harder, sterner aspects of life together with its joy and laughter and to weave them all into the great web. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen. visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.